How you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on. I uh, This is my first call-in experience officially, so I, uh, I'm happy to be here with you. It's an honor to have you, man. What uh, do, do you have any general thoughts on the live audio platform, or you're just kind of an audio guy doesn't matter what the what the stakes are you, you can play on clay you can play on dirt you can play on grass <laughs> yeah i appreciate you calling me an audio guy you know because people forget you know I, I am an audio engineer uh at my core that was my first uh my first way into this industry so i i am uh i did locker room you know which now turned into spotify live so i did that back in the day and they're in the early uh, you know, call in or, you know, internet audio days or whatever you want to call it. But, uh, I'm a big fan of calling just from the outside looking in. So I'm happy to be here. And then, you know, I saw you were doing a show. So I was like, if Jake's doing a show there, it must be good. <laughs> Appreciate that, man. Um, yeah, for, for those who don't know you, I, cause honestly, I would have no real idea on how to describe your actual day to day position right now. What's kind of, I mean, a great Tate Frazier, but what, what, what is your, what is your existence in, in the media space at this moment? Yeah, so I mean, that's a that's a, I, I appreciate that. Uh, sort of, uh, you know, I I was at the Ringer for four years. You know, I was a podcast producer and a, a podcast talent, and then I would say now um, I have my own production company called Figures, and uh, you know, we produce um, shows for you know. A variety of different places. Uh, we, we did a series called The World of Five Star, which was, uh, you know, funded by Uninterrupted Spring Hill. So that was fun. Um, my partner, Mike Goldstein, just got done working on the Wesley uh, Tom Renaudi project for Fox Sports that just came out. So that's like the producer side of my life. Um, and then the talent side, obviously, uh, with Titus and Tate, um, that show is uh, distributed by Fox Sports. Um, so that's college basketball talk about college basketball twice twice a week with my guy Mark Titus. So that's uh that's the bread and butter. Um but yeah, I mean from there, you know, just uh, you know, staying plugged in. I do a show with BJ Armstrong who you uh you came on that show pushing through once upon yeah. a time and uh BJ is like um my guy <laughs> in basketball, so to speak. He is my sounding board. He kind of keeps me uh, up to speed on what's going on from, uh, you know, the GM, former player, you know, guy that hates the modern t- times of basketball side of things. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a good it's a good balance. So uh, that that's my spiel right there. It's obviously very confusing and, and, and uh, you know, not necessarily straightforward, but I'm a podcaster, you know, through my heart and soul. So there you go. There you go. You know, BJ Armstrong, for, for those for those who don't know, a former player on those Michael Jordan Bulls teams and then had that moment in Charlotte in the playoffs, went on to yep. have some executive career. He was an agent for a while. That's where I got to know him um, first and not really on a deeply personal level such as yourself, but he was a guy I felt like I could call. And uh, someone, whenever I was typing in his name in my contact list, I'd say, okay, How's this call going to go today? He's either going <laughs> to be, you, know, you can put a quarter in his back and not to call him a pupper or nothing like that, but he can, you can wind him up and BJ can get talking. And it's very useful. Very smart guy. Seen it from all vantage points. Yes. Other days, he's not exactly in a teaching moment from my perspective, more of a, <laughs> let me tell you how this is going to go moment. And those yes. are interesting phone calls, or at least they were back in the day. 
Absolutely. And like, you know, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he was around two of the greatest players ever, you know, when you talk about Michael Jordan and you talk about Derrick Rose, um, you know, so um, and Derrick actually was given a lot of game early, as we can tell, because he was the youngest MVP ever. You know what I mean? So a lot of that came from DJ. BJ's got some crazy, fascinating stories. But like you said, if you uh, if you call him on the wrong day, you know, you'll you'll be talking about um you know what what's wrong with the game for quite some time but you know it's all illuminating and uh i just find the conversation that's happening in the nba right now fascinating because you can have a million different vantage points you know what i mean and people will give you a hundred different stories about the same thing which is always interesting yeah i mean that's something that when i first hit you up to come on here i wanted because i don't remember the exact date or timing or whatever but the first person i saw who is a person in the basketball ecosystem who was is someone that that I, I believe in their credentials was pound not pounding the table but you kind of kind of put you know your chips where they counted and said pal I think Paolo still could be the number one picker this is well before the big bait and switch that Orlando played but before then you know as we were texting a little bit we started talking about um, and I think it's a good segue into the Paolo thing too because yeah. What the Magic did, by all accounts, like, sure, you know, you could take your hat off to clandestine intel gathering, and there's definitely a, a school of thought about of, like, any intel of your organization shared is leverage lost and all that type of stuff. But it was, I mean, they were picking number one, like, and they were going to pick number one. Like, there was probably, I mean, it didn't really sound like there was real opportunity for them to trade down. So all that yep. being said... It was kind of like for the story to a, to a certain extent, like it was a bit. And I, I think there seemed to be a little, a lot of hype around like the idea of keeping it hushed more so than like the actual value of doing it, which is kind of, you know, the NBA is a bit of a theatrical place right now compared to <laughs> other leagues. And like you said, I mean, I'm watching Hard Knocks as much as anybody. I I, I love that program, and I yeah. feel like uh, it could be that is like emblematic of pretty much how you know most, at least from my experience on the NBA side of things, like most teams do function like they are just a bunch of people and a cast of characters lumped together on a national stage in a, a billion dollar industry. But <laughs> for some reason, the NBA just. I've got my theories on it, but I'm I'm curious to to shut up and and give you the floor now. I mean, what is it about? Because you're a college guy too. Like, what is it about the NBA uh, tilt a whirl of, of the drama that just kind of gets everyone's juices flowing? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It does feel like the NBA is kind of like a, a soap opera at this point, right? It's like Days of Our Lives. We have to keep up with you know, all the drama. And when you talk to, I mean, the thing that BJ always makes me laugh about, he's like, when's the last time someone came up to you and was like, let's talk about the actual basketball, right? Or like, you remember this play or that play, right? Everything's like, did you see that headline? Did you see that tweet? Did you see that, you know, that statement that was put out about, you know, whatever. And uh, that is sort of what is fascinating about the NBA, because that I think somehow is the story. The stories are the story. The narratives, right, are the story. And, um, you know, the real the real person that I point to is not anyone in particular, but it's like 
you know, wrestling, right? Like, I think it has turned into some sort of weird mix between, you know, the, the show and the business, right? It is, it is truly show business at this point. And the show comes first, right? The basketball does not come first. I think the basketball is maybe secondary at this point, hopefully. Uh, might even be third in line with, uh, you know, the business of things that are going on with the NBA these days. So um, I think that is what is so interesting because college even now is seeing the ripple effect of that, right? Like Titus and I always joke on our show, like college is trying to be the NBA and the NBA is trying to steal stuff from college, right? And it's it's like this funny, you know, uh, backhanded, uh, confusing way. Like, you know, Adam Silver comes out and is like, hey, we're thinking about having an in-season tournament where we have a Final Four in a destination yeah. city. You're like, wait a second. that I think I've seen that before. But it's, you know, it, it is – that I think is what is uh, so fascinating is about the show. And then to tie it back to the Paolo part of this – I had, you know, I, I talked to some people in the Magic. They were telling me nothing, right? And I thought I had people in the Magic that were actually going to, you know, maybe give me some information so I look smart out here, Jake. But they're, they're giving me nothing, right? And so all I could do is sort of, uh, you know, use my own abilities to kind of read between the lines. And as I talked to other people that were working out Paolo, they're like, this guy thinks he's the number one pick, right? And that was one thing that I picked up um, – Last year with, uh, you know, Troy Weaver has always been really nice. He's come on pushing through, you know, I, I, you know, Troy, we were the, the Pistons GM. So what Troy Weaver told me last year when they had the number one pick was like, we want someone that thinks they're that guy, right? You have to yeah. have that, that, you know, whatever um, confidence, belief, whatever you want to call it, you have to have that to be the number one guy because you don't want to have a Kwame Brown situation where Kwame had all the talent in the world. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think he necessarily wanted all the things that come along with being the number one pick. But a guy like Kate Cunningham definitely did, and a guy like Paolo Bencaro definitely did, right? And I and I'm and this is no knock on Jabari Smith, but I'm not sure Jabari was the guy that's like singing gung ho. I want to be that guy, right? So that was what sort of was leading me to an inkling of Paolo. And the more that I pried, the more that I felt like they were withholding, you know, the, how much they really loved Paolo. And so that was what kind of jumped me off. And, that, and then to the show part of it, right, Paolo draws headlines. Like we just saw with DeJounte Murray, like the guy immediately fits into the show and he has his own, you know, standalone episodes coming up, right? Like Paolo fits into the new world of the NBA where it's like the headlines, you know, guy goes by P5, you know, we had the whole F1 experience where he gets, you know, confused for Patrick Mahomes. Like the guy's generating yeah. content, right? So he's a good part of the show. <laughs> and I think that's why he fit as a number one pick, you know? I remember the wrestling analogy is great. Cause I remember when I was a wrestling fan back in my day, like they brought on MVP, I think the Friday night Smackdown, that dude with the dreads. Yes. Um, and uh, <laughs> he was like, he was like manufactured in a lab to be a superstar. And yes. like, that is definitely, I mean, I will, I push back on the Jabari thing. Cause I do think from people I've talked to, like he was a guy who wanted to be number one. Like, wanted okay. to put up for, I think he, and from by all accounts, like he's kind of feels a bit of a chip on his shoulder about falling to three. And like, 
he's out for blood a little bit and that type of like that was that but was kind of I think that I think that. that's oh, better for him, right? Like at the end sure. of the day, like I'm happy for Jabari to go to a situation where he already has another guy who has like alpha mentality when you talk about a Jalen Green. So it's like sure. I think it actually worked out well for him. And let's think about the history of number three picks, right? That that's kind of always been a sweet spot to be in. I mean, a la Michael Jordan, right? I mean, number three, Joel and B. This is not a it's not a bad spot and you can get a lot of talent there. Yeah, Bradley Beal in three. Um, yeah. I think the, the the guy who clearly didn't want to go on was Chet, and that was like I remember when or when the I was in the lottery room like the smaller um, drawing that they do. It's yeah. pretty funny. It's like in this back little like section conference meeting next to this giant ballroom, and like you literally walk through security. I mean, everything Zach Lowe writes at ESPN.com every year is like. <laughs> It when you're there, I mean, it seems so simple and not that nuanced because it isn't. But like the level of security and like you're going into the belly of the beast, like one degree. It was yeah. like mixed with like a music festival, like VIP type stuff, and like airport uh, security line, uh, <laughs> like levels and all that type of stuff. And then like it's a giant ballroom, literally down the hall. So like I, I scurried over there afterwards, kind of because the agents and the players and the families are all milling around. Um, and I mean, definitely Paolo's dad was saying like, all right, I guess we're going to Orlando. And there was other prospect type folks, people around the players who were saying, eh, Orlando getting the number one pick, not really our preference. We don't really want to go there. Like, so that was a real thing for certain prospects for sure. Mm, yeah. Um, the interesting thing with Paolo that I've kind of covered the draft since 2013, that was like my, I break into the league when I was an, an intern for Slam Magazine. Yeah, never seen a guy think he's a number one pick, like full heartedly carry himself with the number one pick swagger, but like not believe he's going to get picked until it actually happened because the team did such a j- good job of keep like Anthony Bennett that year in 2013, like didn't believe it, like ha ha ha, I made it to this moment I wasn't supposed to be here. That, that wasn't Paolo. Like, like Paolo has been a wire-to-wire type of top prospect. Um, and, and for him to – I mean, when they made those those last calls on, on Wednesday, the day before the draft, like, he didn't believe it necessarily. And you could see the shock in his face and the emotion on drafting. That was pretty to, – to go back to the show aspect of this, Yeah, that was pretty cool. Like, the draft is, is one of the nights of, of the league year where, to me – especially being someone who's inside of it a bit, like you can feel the two different leagues, the the show versus the actual, you know, day-to-day what's happening on the ground. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, I, I don't think even Paolo, like as he was walking into the draft, right, and they do all the coverage and everything, like Titus and I are watching it. We're like, Paolo looks the most like the number one pick here. But he obviously did not know it was a sure thing because, I, I mean, kudos to the Magic, like you were saying earlier. I mean, they did a great job not letting anything get out and how much they liked Paolo and how how great he did, you know, obviously in their workout and in their interview with him. Um, but it's like it, it's one of those things where it's great for Orlando that he wanted to be like he was good to go to Orlando based on your story. Like his dad's like, OK, we'll, we'll go to Orlando. And it did somehow like it should have been more simple than it was because I remember when Gonzaga played Duke right earlier in the year in December and it was Chet mm-hmm. versus Paolo and it was one versus two right and Paolo 
obviously was the guy who was the one in that game, right? So yeah. like, if you keep it simple, it's like, oh, of course, Paolo goes number one. But just, you know, we all get caught up in everything. And Jabari just got so hot so quickly. And everyone kind of jumped, uh, you know, to him being that guy, obviously, because Auburn had such a great year. But if we really boil it down to, like you said, the wire-to-wire part of this, it was like, oh, yeah, of course, it's Paolo. And I think that's what kind of happened with the Magic. Like, as they were mulling over this decision, they're like, why are we making this so complicated, right? It's the 6'10 guy <laughs> right there who who can kind of do everything and and obviously has the uh, the confidence to be that guy. So um, it's, it's seemingly all worked out in the end, but like you said, it is fascinating seeing those two worlds collide at that one point. Yeah. To, to go back to the show and, and the one thing you said that I haven't thought about before, I probably should have, it's very smart, is that the NBA wants to be college and the college wants to be NBA. Because obviously we've got the whole NIL stuff blowing up, and I, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see how. Because you know the what's going on in college football right now is is I feel like I, I'm blanking on an analogy of a, of another thing that can forecast that can happen somewhere to forecast another thing. Yeah, um, maybe it's like Europe with credit card technology. Whatever happens in the NFL typically. Or in, in football, typically, then trickles to basketball later on in uh, in the college world. Like all the realignment stuff, um, obviously, uh, impacted basketball teams because literally schools were changing. But then there were like literal basketball realignment moves that forced for programs that you know were bigger basketball programs and football, whatever. Um, yeah, it's interesting that. The NBA has this show humming, right? Five-star ratings, Twitter's a buzz, but the product and the actual on-court is, like, suffering. All By all accounts, viewership numbers are pretty down in, in various metrics. I know there's, uh, you know, you can, you can cite certain stats to make it look like these are historic record-breaking numbers and others to point whatever, but clearly it's something that the league is – focusing on being that they're instituting the play-in tournament already. They're talking about a mid-season or an early-season type um, experience like you alluded to earlier. And I, I wonder – this is the question that just popped in my head. I wonder if you can have both. Like, college basketball has the nation's attention during the pageantry of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, the diehards love it year-round, but people kind of only pay attention to – college basketball by sheer mass, like in March. Exactly. Like, can, can the NBA continue to steal everyone's attention from the transaction cycle in the off season? Here we are in August where Mark Stein writes something about the KD thing. I honestly haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I got a BR push notification about it. Day 203, 201's asking us about it um, in the comments. Like, can you, ha- I wonder if it's possible to strike that balance. Like r- wrestling, Obviously, the the thing, the the encore product, if you will, is scripted there too. So that 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 plays into the off off field storylines, if you will. Like, can you have both sides of it being so healthy at the same time? Yeah, I I mean that is a fascinating thing to think about, and it's also like. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when I remember in 2010, like I, I was, you know, celebrating like the July 4th weekend. And when LeBron James, 
decided to go to Miami, like that broke my brain, right? I was like, what? Like that's that's impossible, right? You know, like that 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 can happen, right? You can just go somewhere else and like that. And now we're so far removed. Like the shock and awe of the NBA offseason storylines that are supposed to keep us going, like I just feel like we're almost desensitized to it a little bit, you know? Like it's well, it's when like the report came it, out that to start interrupting, but when the report came out that KD demanded Sean Marks and Steve Nash get fired, like I didn't even blink. Exactly. That's just where we're at right now. <laughs> exactly. That that's what I think is like hurt it. That's why I think I, I worry a little bit about the NBA because like the the news stuff that's supposed to make it a twelve month, you know, league, you know, all that sort of stuff, all that PR that comes out of it. It's like we're so all desensitized and we're also so fragile, right? I mean, it's even it's hard to even get excited about a superstar. Like I can I can say this from my own perspective, right? I I'm a Charlotte Hornets fan. I love the Charlotte Hornets. Like Lamelo, thank God they're gonna let him wear number one, but we all know why we're gonna let him wear number one. It's not because we wanna disrespect Muggsy Bogues, but it's like we have to preemptively get ready for this guy to break our hearts and leave, you know? And that is like uh that's the other layer of this. And it's like a majority of people are like, yeah, LaMelo should leave. And they're not necessarily wrong, I guess, but it's like that too, that juxtaposition. And then in college, you know, that's where people, I guess, find that, you know, sort of like uh, purity or whatever you want to call it. But that that's not really ever been the there game. in reality. So like that's also, you know, it, it's just, it's all kind of just a, a, a I don't know. It's like a, a smog, a, a smog cloud of like confusion for basketball fans because we're like, where do we, what, where do we align ourselves, and like, how much can we believe in this system? And it's, it's nobody. It's not the players' fault. It's not the, but it's like something has to. <laughs> there has to be some sort of like uh, breaking point at some level where we all like talk about it. Which I, which is why I think like Giannis to me is such a perfect face of whatever the NBA is trying to do pushing forward because I think Giannis somehow can universally be adored and also like he's honest right like I don't know if you saw that clip the other day where they asked him about the Chicago Bulls and they're like you know you know what about Chicago and he's like any player that's asked about the Bulls that says they wouldn't want to play there they're a liar because like you know and who knows maybe one day I'll be a Bull Um, but right now I'm a Milwaukee Buck and I was like wow that was so refreshing to hear and it's also like crazy that Giannis actually gave an honest answer there so I almost feel like the wall could be broken maybe with some more honesty (laughs) I don't know but uh yeah I mean it's a fascinating like large scale like what is basketball at large what's the what's the plan here because if college is going to become professional and professionals going to try to steal from college are we just making like one thing (laughs) you know like what are we doing here yeah I think you know people like to ask me all the time oh like what's this person like what's that person like what's what's it like to talk to gms and i always tell people the most surprising thing about all this to me was that the nba and i'm sure it's other sports too because you know you see this stuff in hard knocks for example and it's it's it feels very parallel at least to me from my experience yeah like the nba is high school and like you need you need to find your crew who's going to help you get to the end of the day and a lot of upward movement is for on the coaching side and and the front office side is based off of who you hit your wagon to and sometimes those people move up on just the sheer merit of who they are and and, and 
their in their work. Other times, you know, they play the game well and they get tapped for certain reasons and people get carried along with them. Kind of the same thing on the player side of things where, um, you know, whether it's a, it's an executive who really likes you, who gives you a shot, and you, know, you see all these things in free agency or the trade deadline every year where an executive uh, who was with a different team tries to trade for that guy or or what have you. Um, and there are certain players who you know, know how to play the game well in terms of being common friendly with superstars who have a lot of pull on free agency decisions or, or, or back of the roster stuff. Um, you know, the DeAndre Jordan, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn contract is like the highest profile example, but there are tons of players who are minimum contract guys or be, end up becoming assistant coaches or whatever, just because they're boys with the, uh, the lead dog. So it is just kind of like, and then the fact that it is kind of a bit of a fashion show on the runway going into game, like that's, that, that's a, that's kind of like how the league exists in totality at summer league at the combine wherever like what type of backpack you're wearing which what do you have on your feet who you're affiliating with like it it really is inescapable so that's why i kind of had that thought of if you are so focused on that can you really just focus on what's between the lines when it really matters it's i'm sure i mean there are tons of people who have been able to lebron's probably the best example right he's the best crafted person off the court and one of the most successful ever but there are a few people to do it like that yeah, and LeBron is like I think LeBron the the best thing I've ever you know there's a lot of these athletes that have amazing quotes like LeBron's best quote that I ever saw and made me actually believe he said it was keep the main thing the main thing right and I think LeBron that's a testament to his entire existence in this ecosystem right he is always at the end of the day despite all the controversy and all the conversation right he has kept basketball at the forefront of his mind you know what I mean and he has worked that way and that's why he's you know still you know, playing on Christmas Day, right? I mean, that's just the, the reality of it. He has been a, a guy who has done it, you know, to the max. And, like, all of these, you know, generations as they're coming up and they're building their brands. Like, we live in this brand world where everyone's trying to build their brand and do this and do that, right? But that's still separate from basketball. Um, and it's so funny because, like, it used to be like a like even like a sham god move, right? Like that came like he made a move on a basketball court, but then that's his brand, right? Now it's like we create the brand and then we go play basketball, <laughs> and then and uh, yeah, I mean that um, just that dichotomy I think is is really um, fascinating. And like I, I saw you you mentioned the Kevin Durant thing, like with Kevin, right? Kevin is searching for something I, I, you know, and, and I hope that, you know, he finds what, what he's looking for, but he, he obviously thought he was going to have it in Brooklyn. There's been a lot of turmoil with the situation there and things have gone up in the air, but like at the end of the day, like, I don't know what, what the plan is to like salvage all this. But then again, when LeBron was in Cleveland in 2018 and, and they got swept by the Warriors, I felt the same way. I was like, I don't feel like there's, any plan forward for LeBron to like keep this train going. And then all of a sudden he's on the Lakers. Right. <laughs> so it's like, there's always a chess move to be made with, with the, the super duper stars. Um, and I guess that's why we, we keep watching because we, we know that could be the case, but um, 
uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's like I talk myself in circles around it. You know what I mean? Because I do, I do appreciate the the power that is there. But I also, especially with the CBA negotiations coming up, right, Jake? Like that's going to be a fascinating part of this with the Ben Simmons situation that we already saw with James Harden, with KD, with Kyrie, right? Like these owners are going to come in hot in the CBA negotiations, and I don't know what that ripple effect looks like. And God forbid we see a lockout. I hope not. Um, but who knows? Yeah, the CBA conversations are uh, ones I would want to poke into when I get back from my trip I'm about to set off on this evening. Um, we've got our first caller, Justin's in the line. Nice. Justin, feel free to unmute yourself, man. What's going on? Justin, do we have you? I see you. Nope, Justin's gone. Man, <laughs> not not everyone can can uh, can handle the pressure, man. No, I know, get Justin. it. They call in. Oh, here, oh, waiting for calling. Sometimes, sometimes it's it's glitchy. Justin, do we have you? All right, I was trying to figure out how to work this app. You hear me? There he is. Yeah, yeah man. We got you. What's got up, man? You. Thanks for joining us. How you guys doing? Thank you for having me. You got it. What's going on? I just had two questions about since you were talking about Kevin Durant. It, triggered a couple questions I had and when will well this probably will never happen but how will tampering be really viewed considering that everybody around the league and everyone who follows the league including yourself and fans know that everybody's talking before the deadlines and when will contract extensions for guys like Kevin Durant or anybody of that magnitude matter when they can just say i don't want to be here and then get into this leverage war with a team yeah the the second part's a good question going off of what tate was just talking about with the new cba stuff i mean there's definitely i haven't talked to anybody about it recently but i said this on a previous show when i was reaching out to people at the start of last season because the league, I think it was like August 28th. It was right around this time last year. The league sent a memo to all the teams asking for feedback on things that the front offices would want to bring to the table and potential new ideas, how to restructure things, what have you. And a, a big part of the feedback was how do we counteract the trade request? There was talk about, you know, will it, will you have to automatically sacrifice salary, stuff like that? Like it's going to be, those types of things are going to be addressed or at least considered and contemplated Um, to the tampering stuff. I think ultimately have to get to a point of either or one or two things, either there's going to have to be legitimate penalties. And every time there's an incident, it presents the opportunity for precedent for, or for a new precedent to be set. So the James Harden situation, Jalen Brunson situation, those investigations ongoing from the league. Like, if the NBA really wanted to put an quote-unquote end to tampering, you know, these second-round picks that uh, Miami and Chicago were dinged with last year and the Bucks previously with the whole sign-and-trade thing with Bogdanovich the year prior. Like, if that's the cost of doing business in order to – do something so diabolical that it's skirting the NBA rules. Like teams end up selling second round picks or trading them, you know, for whatever, for a future second on draft night because they don't have a roster spot that they want to pay a guy or whatever, like willy nilly. 
So if that's the cost, then, you know, if, if you're only going to get a slap on the wrist, you're going to keep reaching back into the cookie jar. So the league is, the league is either going to have to slam down a punishment on somebody, or they're going to have to go the way of, you know, like NIL and college basketball, where they just brought that stuff out onto the surface. And, you know, maybe they need to make like a legal tampering period or allow, you know, set it so that way you can't talk to people during the season. That's what they, that's what everyone cares about. I probably said this before, but people who are, are affronted by tampering, like in actuality in, in the league, what they care about is how the Clippers were, you know, sending people around Toronto all throughout the year to kind of have a presence around Kawhi, how the Jazz showed up at the playoff game where Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson, not the Jazz, excuse me, the Knicks at the Jazz Mavericks game, there is kind of like like a gentleman's agreement that once you're done playing, once you're out of the regular season and you guys are knocked out, or once your team is out of the playoffs, like once you've fulfilled your obligations to that season for that team, then you're kind of a free agent. Sure, if you were wanting to be back, like you'll engage with the coaches and you'll get your off-season plan for on-court and diet and whatever, but – if you're not, if there's some gray area, like you can kind of just go AWOL and kind of leave your team in the dark, make them just like another team that is hopeful for your services that summer. So if you just make that the quote unquote legal tampering period from uh, the end of when a player is suiting up for that contract here, I think everyone would kind of be okay with it. It just gotten to a point now where, I mean, Tate, you probably have some insight into this too from your BJ conversations. Um, like, you know, if you don't start to get deals done before the buzzer, agents and teams are starting to feel like they're already playing catch up, right? Yeah, I mean, I just remember the Mitch Kupchak story, right? Like from probably like a decade ago, but he like waited to the actual deadline to start calling free agents and everyone just laughed at him, right? Like that was the moment where it was like, okay, everyone's tampering. <laughs> um, it used to just be like a USA basketball thing where people could just point to this one thing and maybe Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, right, as the most recent example of, like, they, they found some sort of basketball, you know, kinship while they were playing abroad last year. And that's where all the Suns rumors came from. But, you know, at the end of the day, you really can't stop these guys from talking to each other unless you're going to be monitoring their conversations, which is obviously an invasive, um, you know, violation of the privacy of these players and, and, and GMs. But, I mean, everyone's wise enough to know that it's going on. So, I don't really know what the solution is. I think like Jake said, I mean, the best case scenario is that you kind of get lax with it and create like a legal tampering space. But I mean, it's still going to happen outside of that, unfortunately, it seems. Yeah. What you guys said there, it reminds me of either you get really extreme with it. And I, it makes me think about the MLB and my brother and I had had a very passionate debate about this before. Like when the Astros were hit with their, uh, slap on the wrist of losing like a draft pick or whatever they lost. I feel like the proper punishment, since they already won the World Series, you can't take it back. They should have gotten a postseason ban for how many years that they were proven to be cheating. So something maybe extreme in that realm for the NBA. I don't know what you would do, but I feel like the the worms are out of the can at this point and everyone knows and it's just trying to like make it more competitive or fair for teams who definitely don't have shots at certain guys. 
I agree with that. I think it's also one of those things where it gets into like the Jerry Tarkanian, you know, they were so mad at Kentucky. They, they gave Cleveland state probation, right? Like they might be so mad at Pat Riley and the Miami heat that they give the Pacers like a postseason ban. Right. And that, I think that's where it gets muddy, right. Where it's like people feeling like they're, they're trying to, that makes um, sense. yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead, Justin. No, I was just uh, interjecting what you were saying. Cause that just, made me think like yeah it's a personal thing like you said it's about relationships and it's like it's like high school so at that point it gets kind of like like there's real like feuds and storylines like is if you're a wrestling fan you know what i'm talking about then you people will be more intrigued but then that makes it a more like volatile league environment where the league now is kind of like everybody's health competitive in a healthy way well, there is some, I mean, there is some venom out there. That's for sure. There definitely are certain teams that don't want to trade with certain teams because a certain GM doesn't like a certain GM. Like, that's definitely a thing. Yeah, it's just not uh, It's not as known. Like, obviously, you guys would know it or other people who are super into it, but you wouldn't be able unless you put the tea leaves together. Potentially. I mean, honestly, I wasn't trying to like, allude to anything. There's nothing. I mean, I, I'm just a guy on a Monday afternoon right now talking to my phone. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing coming to the top, uh, top of my head. But like if there was a well-known, you know, headbutting of sorts, but like, let's, let's say, for example, I'm completely making this up to anyone looking to aggregate this. Let's say Sean Marks had a giant beef with Masai Ujiri and that was blocking a potential KD to Toronto trade. And I knew about that. I would write that in a heartbeat. That's like very important context to the biggest storyline in the NBA. I would absolutely bring that to the public attention if I had that confirmed. Okay. I mean, I feel like that was a popular rumor as to why the Sixers didn't originally acquire Harden from Houston. Yeah. I mean, look, there's only a few people who would actually know. Um, But there were definitely people in the NBA who were like, oh, the Rockets will never trade him to Philly. They would never do it. Um, and, I mean, I, I do think there was some misconception as to how Daryl, like, en- en- engineered his exit out of Houston. Um, I do think there was some, like, wonky contract stuff. But, yeah, I mean, he definitely legit left people in the Rockets with the intention of leaving um, and taking a sabbatical and then joined Philly right away. I mean, he he will say that – he had no idea the Sixers opportunity was going to present itself. Um, and he really was dead set on doing it. But then, you know, a skeptic could point to the fact that he met with, uh, he met with the team previously and you know, all that. So I, we'll, we'll never really actually know the, the full truth there. I don't think. One day, maybe years later. <laughs> all right, Justin, anything else for us? Uh, no, I just wanted to say thank you for having me, Tate. This is the first time I'm really finding out about you, so I'll be tapping in with what you'll be talking about and reporting. And Jake, appreciate I, you, man. I enjoyed uh, Built to Lose, and I thank enjoyed, you, buddy. I enjoyed you on the Ricky, and thank you, man. You guys both keep killing it. You too, buddy. We will. Uh, we hope to have you on another edition of the show. Yeah, appreciate uh, you, man. Tate, we've been talking for a bit here. I got to run and catch a flight. So I'm going to do what I like to typically do at the end of these conversations. I've asked you a bunch of questions. Justin asked you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have anything you want to ask me? Mm. 
I do want to ask you, like, best case scenario for you, Jake, like, if you're looking at the landscape of the NBA right now, like, what what is the best move for the the Kevin Durant sweepstakes? Like, just for fun, you know what I mean? Not not that you're reporting, not you not that you think it's going to happen, but just for the <laughs> entertainment, right? For the show of it all. Like, we, we talked about the show today. I, I wanted to end it, you know, with the with the same idea of the show of Bass. But like, where is the best case scenario for the show of the NBA? Like for Kevin Durant, because that's what fascinates me. That's why he obviously asked out of Brooklyn to find a better, you know, position for himself in this show. So I wonder, like, what's the best place in your mind? And then I'll give my answer, too, so it's clear. Well, for me or in general, like what I think just, would be the best? Just in general, not not even for you personally, not even, not even if you're, like, your own team or whatever, but just, like, for the league yeah. itself, for entertainment value, for the show, of the, for the overall show of the NBA. Let me think out loud here. So okay. I mean, really from everything that is on the board, like the board right now is pretty much like at this stage, Boston or Toronto um, yeah. of teams who are like actually interested, have actually made contact, have had actual serious conversations and could in theory decide to put the pieces on the table that would get Brooklyn's attention and that Kevin would probably be able to win in. Right. Um mm-hmm. Toronto would be fascinating because, as I've personally experienced, that fan base is ridiculously uh, energized by this team, let's say. Um, Yeah. And when the Raptors were good and, like, a threat in the East, it's just just kind of, like, cool, weird to have a team not in the country and the whole, like, Canada's team, Canada, U. Like, I put out a tweet about – how players who aren't vaccinated aren't going to be able to go to Toronto and play in Toronto this year again. And yeah. like, a lot of people in the comments were like, it's the same thing, vice versa. Like if a player is not vaccinated on the Raptors, he can't come play in the United States. And I'm like, okay, can I get it. But like, are the Raptors really going to sign a player who's unvaccinated if he can't play <laughs> in 41 of the games? Like, that, I mean, the, we just dealt with Kyrie. It's probably not going to happen especially in a franchise that has been, you know, more ironclad, let's say, than Brooklyn has been. Uh, of late. Yeah, so for that sure. That would be interesting to me. Boston, I really don't want to see because I think I, I personally have been pretty impressed with how Brad Stevens in his first, uh, you know, couple of months, let's say, I mean, he's a little into year two now on the job as president. Um, Imi Udoka finally getting his head coaching job. Jason Tatum, I was, as an amateur scout, like, super down on, honestly, when he came out of college. Like, I didn't think he'd be bad, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like I felt the same player. way. I thought he'd be more like a DeMar DeRozan tier, like, secondary all-star type guy rather than, I mean, at points like this season, he was playing like Luka Doncic for the Celtics. So, I'd like to see Boston, like continue to grow this thing and the Celtics and Phillies rebuild kind of happen at the same time. I like that. Yeah. They're kind of like growing at the same pace. But Toronto to add another like real legit contender with the Raptors would be pretty sweet to me. That's my thinking out loud answer. I like that answer. I think Toronto would be great. I feel like for KD's sake, like Toronto would be the best case scenario because I think Boston is, you know, the second worst scenario, right? He goes to Boston, they trade, trade Jalen Brown, maybe Marcus Smart, and they still, still don't win, right? That would be terrible. And also, like, <laughs> it just seems such a play to, like, LeBron on the Lakers, Kevin Durant on the Celtics, right? It just kind of – I roll my eyes at that. 
But the worst case scenario is that the Sixers somehow get in this and they trade, you know, Tobias and they somehow include Maxi and uh, and ruin Maxi's future. Maxi's like one of my favorite players. I have no vested interest. I am not team clutch. I just I watch the kid play and I love the way he plays and I love the way he approaches everything. And I think he has a ton of talent. So I think the worst case scenario is like the Sixers, you know, <laughs> leverage their future and, and trade him to Brooklyn for Kevin Durant. So I just wanted to say that so it doesn't happen. I'm getting it out of the ether so it never happens. So um, that's worst. <laughs> that's worst case scenario. But I like Toronto. Toronto would be fun. I was, you know, for a while I was thinking about Phoenix because for a while in terms of like, you know, people were starting to say KD Phoenix back in like May. Yeah. It didn't make any sense to me. Like I didn't see how the trade would happen. That would make, especially once I kind of found out that the Nets just had really no interest in DeAndre Ayton. But that being said, Scottsdale's having a moment. Scottsdale's dope. There's like a lot of people in the NBA who live in Phoenix, Scottsdale area, and like the off season. Yeah. Um, if you know, it was kind of cool how Harden. I mean, Houston's Houston, but I feel like Harden's presence like kind of impacted Houston. This is like a like a cultural hotbed of the country. Like KD turning in, like being part of this CP3 Devin Booker three headed monster for a bit in Phoenix, and maybe that kind of playing into that area that could have been cool that like i'm not i really don't understate the value of what a good cool sports team and players can do for the overall just vibe of the city so or a whole area i was very that would have been curious to me of like oh yeah i'm going to phoenix like if phoenix started to become like an area that people like a destination people were always going to that would have been interesting i would i would have loved to spend some more time in phoenix Did I lose your tape? I think I lost tape. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you. Hear me now, Jake? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're I mean, you're right about uh, the, the spec of it. I think there's definitely something there. And I think KD, if you, like, really asked him, like, on the record where he really wants to go, I think you're right about that three-headed monster. I think with CP3, you know, with the vibe in Phoenix, Phoenix is a fun team. Obviously, Jamel was just there. But, um, you know, I, I can see Kevin wanting to buy into that. But the, the worst thing that could happen is that, like, at, a, at the expense of another franchise, you know, KD blows it up. And, and that is what I don't want to see. So even the idea of trading, like, Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges, like, it automatically fundamentally changes that fun Phoenix team for me. So I just, you know, I, I hope that he uh, he finds happiness, but not at the cost of some other team or some other player like Tyrese. <laughs> Spoken like a true <laughs> audio uh, veteran. Tate. Thank you, thank you for coming. I was just say thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Um, of course, man. Anything you want anything you, yeah, anything you want to plug? Let the let the people know you got coming. Yeah, I got uh, Titus and Tate is the name of the podcast. It is twice a week. We are in the off season, so we are talking about all types of things. Right now, we are talking about John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats in the Bahamas and their their T- PR branded tour they got going on, which is hilarious. Um, but otherwise, man, appreciate you having me on. I hope you have a great vacation. And when you get back, I'll be tuned in. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'll be back probably, I'm looking at August 26th for my next show. So There you go. Um, for those who can't wait, 
hold, <laughs> don't hold your breath until then. But uh, enjoy the rest of the week, everyone. If Kevin Durant gets traded while I'm in a tent on the countryside in the, in the Netherlands, I would be pretty happy about it. <laughs> so uh, take care. Good luck. And uh, see you all. Thanks, everybody.